0: amen so find in your bibles matthew chapter 13 we start a series today entitled the parables of jesus wisdom for life about one third of jesus teaching is in parabolic form so we start this series with the surprising reason jesus taught in parables I hope you brought your bibles this morning we encourage you to bring a bible every sunday morning because we want to preach straight out of god's word so let's read matthew 13 beginning in verse 10. the disciples came and said to him why do you speak to them in parables Jesus answered them to you. It has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven But to them it has not been granted for whoever has to him more shall be given and he will have an abundance But whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him Therefore I speak to them in parables Because while seeing they do not see and while hearing they do not hear nor do they understand in their case The prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, "'You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. "'You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. "'For the heart of this people has become dull. "'With their ears they scarcely hear, "'and they have closed their eyes. "'Otherwise they would see with their eyes, "'hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, "'and return, and I would heal them. "'But blessed are your eyes, because they see, "'and your ears, because they hear.'" For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road." The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns... This is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it and who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now Jesus' earthly ministry starts all the way back in Matthew chapter 4. John the Baptist introduced him, and in, yes, let me try that again. John the Baptist introduced him by saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Jesus called some of his disciples, and then Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, and the news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill and those who were suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him. Listen to the places they followed him from. From Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So you get the picture. The miracle man is on the magical mystery tour. The crowd has gathered from everywhere Jews from Jerusalem and Judea Gentiles from Galilee and the Decapolis they don't know who Jesus is but they know what he can do so Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount to this crowd in Matthew chapter 5 verses 7 the people heard but most did not respond So by the time you get to Matthew chapter 11, the Bible says he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. In chapter 12, he cut to the chase. He said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. So for nine Chapters the people's hearts were hungry for his benefits, but they were hard toward his teaching So I want you to see we're going to introduce here a method of Jesus teaching if you look back at verse 3 in Matthew 13 it says he spoke to them many things in parables a parable is a method of teaching that lays down a spiritual truth alongside a practical truth Jesus used things in the material world that everyone understands to illustrate spiritual truth that not everyone understood. You can also call a parable an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But his parables were a different form of teaching. One of the intention of parables was to shock people. For example, he told the parable of the good Samaritan. Well, the Jews didn't think there was such a thing as a good Samaritan. So parables were intended to have shock value, but another mark of parables was they never allowed the hearer to remain neutral. Now that's the method of Jesus' teaching. Number two, the purpose of parables. Why did Jesus begin to speak in parables? Well, the reason is twofold, and the first reason is to reveal truth. Verse 10, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables Jesus answered them, To you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Now let's stop there and define two terms. The kingdom of heaven. That could take a whole sermon. So let's put it this way. In New Testament terms, the kingdom of heaven on earth initially appeared when Jesus was born. It continually is present as Jesus reigns in the human soul. And it will be fully consummated when Jesus returns. So for example in Matthew chapter 4 when John the Baptist said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand he said that because Jesus was there and where the king is so the kingdom shall be and today the redeemed together just as we are right now we gather on the Lord's day in local churches as a visible expression of the coming kingdom this present spiritual expression will become a glorious physical reality fully and finally expressed when jesus returns and establishes his eternal kingdom in fact that's why the lord's prayer says thy kingdom come pray for the return of jesus now right now we're saved from the power and the penalty of sin but when he comes He will rescue us from the presence of sin. He will establish a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth. He will rule and reign in that kingdom forever. That's heaven. The kingdom of heaven, second definition. What is a mystery in the Bible? Now, the best definition I've ever read is a mystery is something that God has revealed, but its full wonder has yet to be made known. It's a spiritual truth you cannot receive through human reasoning there are some mysteries that we will never understand and then there's a second tier of it man's wisdom unsaved people they cannot extract biblical truth natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of god for their foolishness to him and he cannot understand them other mysteries the holy spirit will reveal to us but only when we repent of our intellectual and theological pride Matthew 11:25 Jesus said, "You have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to infants." Here's what all that means. If you want to know and learn and understand the Holy Spirit will teach you. Look at verse 12. Jesus said, "For whoever, whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance." If you're teachable, If you want to obey God's word, you'll learn more and more. The word disciple means one who learns. But we don't learn to store up knowledge. We learn so we can bless and serve. We are a conduit for God's blessings. And I like to say this often. It is amazing. It is amazing the theology you learn when you get your hands dirty serving Jesus. And I say that term, hands dirty. I mean that metaphorically, but what I mean is, when you put in sweat equity, it's amazing what you learn. Jesus revealed truth to the disciples here because they were hungry. They were willing to get their hands dirty. They were going to follow him everywhere. They were going to go through a lot of difficult times, and they didn't realize it, but they were going to put in so much sweat equity that it would cost them their lives. So this principle in verse 12, it's not hard to understand. If you invest money in something that gains no return, first of all, you're losing money, especially now due to inflation. So what would anyone with prudence do? You pull your money out and you invest it in something more profitable. That's what Jesus does with truth. So there are two key questions. Do you want to know truth? And do you want to obey truth? do you want to know truth and do you want to obey truth if so then you'll receive truth from the holy spirit of god that's one of the reasons jesus began to teach in parables to reveal truth to those who want it and have a desire to obey it so he preached in parables to reveal truth but he also preached in parables to conceal truth keep reading in verse 12 it says but whoever does not have Even what he has shall be taken away from him. The truth about truth is if you don't lose it or use it, you'll lose it. If you don't want truth, if you're not willing to obey it, you'll lose what you have, and you'll eventually worship a God of your own imagination. Now remember, this huge crowd who've come from everywhere, they're following him to see the show. They have not yet responded to his teaching. So by speaking in parables, he's forcing their hand. They'll either want his truth and desire to obey it, or they'll continue with no desire whatsoever. But parables do not allow for neutrality. Every human being responds one way or another to the proclamation of divine truth. Parables were a judgment on those who do not want to hear and obey Beginning in verse 14 Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6 by the way You'll often notice that Jesus believed his Old Testament was inerrant in Isaiah chapter 6 Isaiah saw a vision of the exalted Lord seated on his throne with angels around him Isaiah was so terrified at being in the presence of Almighty God. He said woe is me for I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King the Lord of hosts But then God said who shall I send who shall go for us in other words? Who will go and preach God's holy word to his chosen people of Israel? And Isaiah said, I'll go. But the problem was he was going to preach to people who had no interest whatsoever in hearing or obeying God's word. In fact, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 1, God said of his people, An ox knows its owner, and a donkey knows its master's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. He said, they've abandoned the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They've turned away from Him. So God sent Isaiah to preach His Word, and He told Isaiah how the people would respond. Look there in verse 14 while I read beginning in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, and notice how similar it is. So I'm going to read Isaiah 6, 9. It said, Go and tell these people, keep on listening but do not perceive, keep on looking but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, otherwise... They might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. In other words, Isaiah, your preaching is going to fall on deaf ears and hard hearts. They have no desire to hear and obey. They're not going to respond to your word. So Jesus said of his day, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. And what was true in Jesus' day is true in our day. Now, for example, some of you share the gospel, and there's no interest whatsoever, and you wonder, what's wrong? Why am I not getting through? And you think, maybe you're doing something wrong. But no man ever born is a better teacher than Jesus. No one ever taught in a more clear, concise, and compelling way. No one ever taught with more divine power, and most people had no interest in what he had to say. In John chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep, and he went on to explain in the next 17 or 18 verses exactly what that meant. And in John 10:19, the Bible says a division occurred among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane, why do you listen to him? So, the purpose of parables is to receive truth to those who want it and conceal truth to those who don't. That's the purpose of parables. So, look at number three, the basic parable. This is the illustration of verses 10 through 17, and it's the easiest of the parables to understand. Jesus said that in verse 13. He said, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? And he gives us the translation of it in these upcoming verses. Now, this explains why it's so difficult to see genuine conversions. It illustrates why your efforts to bring people to saving faith sometimes seem fruitless. It demonstrates that people can even have a positive initial response, but salvation does not recur. Or, excuse me, occur. In this parable, the soil represents the human heart, The seed represents the Word of God. Craig Blomberg, who wrote a book called Interpreting the Parable, said God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are perfectly balanced in this passage. You can't receive truth without the Holy Spirit's revelation, but you can receive truth because you determine the receptivity of your heart. So first notice the indifferent heart. Verse 19, an indifferent heart. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Why don't they understand it? They don't want to. It's not intellectual ignorance. It's spiritual apathy. They're not prepared to accept it. They have no intention of bending their life to obey it. Now, this is not necessarily a person who says, I renounce the possibility that Jesus of Nazareth even existed. I reject the Bible as being true, or I even deny the existence of God. I'm an atheist. This is mostly a person who does not care. They've hardened their heart. And the devil comes along and takes that seed that was sown, lest it somehow take root. There is an unseen but very real spiritual world. I believe very, very strongly that in every Bible-preaching, evangelical service around this globe, there's a demon present in every service. And when a heart is hard, it doesn't matter who's preaching up here. They're sowing seed. And when a heart is hard, a demon will come along and steal that seed that was laid upon a human soul. Now a hard heart will often produce what's called an ad hominem argument against God's Word. An ad hominem argument is a logical fallacy where a person will attack a person rather than the subject at hand. So here's what this sounds like. God's Word is sown. And the hard heart says, the church just wants my money. Or the church is full of hypocrites. Or all those people are so judgmental. And here's the response to that. If someone says that to you, just simply say, what does that have to do with you and Jesus? At the end of the age, you'll be standing before Jesus. And Jesus never said, believe in them. He said, believe in me. The ultimate reason a man or woman doesn't come to saving faith is plain old pride. Now, are there churches primarily interested in money? Yeah, there are. I can think of one in Houston right now. Joel Osteen. Are there hypocrites in the church? Sure, I'm one of them. We're all hypocrites. None of us live up to what we've been taught. Are there judgmental people? Sure. But it's been well said that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We're all in process. The difference is we admit our sin, we seek to repent of it, and we follow Jesus. The hard-hearted man holds on to his sin, refuses repentance, and walks his own path, its human pride. To be saved, a man or woman must humble himself before Almighty God and put his full faith in Jesus who died on the cross to take our sins away now that's an indifferent heart number two an impulsive heart verse 20 the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy yet he has no firm root in himself but is only temporary and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word immediately he falls away you've seen this some profess faith swiftly and decisively And they display the marks of a person gloriously converted. They're determined to repent, to follow Jesus, and to live by faith, and we say glory, hallelujah. But when they face a problem or a persecution, it can be a health problem, they can get fired, someone hurts their feelings, or they're mocked by a friend because of their faith, or their so-called friends walk away from them because of their profession of faith. And they tear the tiny roots of faith out of that shallow, rocky soil of their heart, and they walk away. They didn't lose salvation. They never had it. Now, this might be the most discouraging of the four. Many of you have a child who made a profession of faith. But when they turn 14, 16, 18, 20, things changed. today the word carries no weight they might claim to be a christian but there's no fruit or they may be open in the rejection of jesus this parable shows us that a person can receive the truth with joy and make claims about faith but a faith that is temporary and unfruitful is not true faith one writer said the only conversions that count in the kingdom are those confirmed by a life of discipleship so parents if that describes one of your adult children there are two and maybe three things to consider number one do not accept false guilt did you do your best to put the seeds of faith in that child's heart as far as you know did you raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord then don't blame self every person has to make their own decision for Christ the soul who sins will die and number one parenting is really hard And number two, no one taught like Jesus and most rejected him. So don't accept false guilt. But number two is equally important. I'll put it this way. Don't whistle through the graveyard about your child's faith. In other words, if there's no fruit, don't create a false narrative in your mind about their salvation. And therefore, if number two is true, then number three is important let that truth drive you to passionate prayer for that child a prayer for their salvation is in god's will the bible says god desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth so pray with confidence pray with persistence that the day will come that that seed will spring up to eternal life in that child keep preaching the gospel in any way you can to that child and if you're older you might even consider writing a letter pleading for them to be saved and attach it to your will god uses amazing things to reach people so use every possible tool you have at your disposal to keep preaching the gospel don't get judgmental but don't give up don't ever give up an impulsive heart number three an insincere heart verse 22 and the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful this is a person who receives the gospel on a prima facie basis but they never repent those thorns are still in the soil thorns first show up in the bible when adam and eve brought sin into the world genesis 3:18 God told Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. Thorns picture sin. Thorns are always negative in the Bible. So this person leaves the thorns in the soil. There's been no repentance to pull those thorns up. And it's been rightly said that repentance is not being broken over your sin. It's being broken from your sin. So the seed that filtered down through the thorns of that soil could have taken root, but the thorn of the worries of the world and the thorn of the deceitfulness of wealth kept that seed from taking root. Now remember, there's nothing wrong with the seed. It's the Word of God. The problem is with the soil. So many Christians, and I've heard this many times are afraid to share the gospel because they say I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would erase that thought from every mind and heart it comes from the evil one the Holy Spirit can use even the most stumbling witness he can use the most astonishing things to bring someone to Christ what is dangerous is telling a convert that they're definitely saved Instead, tell them what the Bible says about a person who believes. For example, Jesus said, Everyone who believes in me will live and never die. Or Ephesians 2, you're saved, by faith through grace, it's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. Or Jesus said, Whoever believes shall have, excuse me, whoever believes the Son shall have eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. A person's salvation will be evidenced by a life of discipleship. D.L. Moody was an amazing evangelist. He was was one of the best ever. And Moody believed in powerful and heart-stirring public invitations. Now, the current trend is to strongly criticize those invitations, and for good reason, because those have been abused. But the critics of Moody usually don't know how he taught his counselors. Early on, he recognized that his emotionally packed invitations would sometimes attract people who would immediately receive the word with joy, but then they would fall away. So here's what he said to his counselors, and this is, I'm I'm quoting. He said, urge immediate decisions, but never tell a man he's converted. Never tell him he's saved. Let the Holy Spirit reveal that to him. You cannot see when a man receives eternal life, and you cannot afford to deceive anyone about this great question. George Whitfield was used by God as one of the architects of the First Great Awakening. Thousands of people would gather to hear his evangelistic sermons. God gave him a booming voice that could be heard from long distances. George, uh, Benjamin Franklin estimated that he could be heard by 30,000 people. And that may sound incredible, but just the fact Taryn and I knew Stephen Olford, and he could shatter your eardrums if he wanted to whitfield never reported how many came to faith in his meetings and crusades now today there are ministries that consistently tout how many were saved in their events be cautious of that i had a front row seat to one many years ago that claimed over 600 people were saved there might have been two the editor of a baptist state newspaper called me to ask me about it and i pleaded with him Don't publish that number. I gave him a number of reasons why it wasn't true. And that week he reported on the front page of that paper that over 600 people were saved in this county of 16,000 people. If 3.75% of that county had gotten saved, the evidence would have been overwhelming. It didn't happen. So Whitfield was often asked the question, how many people were saved in your crusades? And he had one answer. We'll see in a few years it takes time for genuine faith to be seen now when I first got saved there was an interim pastor in our church he was leaving in just a couple of weeks he was a ministry veteran and an old air force guy and I wonder if he had seen enough false conversions over the years because I can I can remember I remember where we were at I remember the direction I approached him from it was after church on a Sunday morning and I came from this direction I waited till most everyone was gone and I said man I got saved Wednesday night. And he said, so you got saved, did you? (laughs) I said, well, yeah. He said, then you'll get baptized. And I said, what's that? I had no idea. So I was baptized, but I was kind of taken aback by his skepticism. Today I understand. If you share the gospel, you know this disappointment. And my concern is that Some of you today may really be disheartened. You've tried and tried. Maybe it's a family member. You've just seen false conversions. You've seen people walk away. Maybe you've been a member of this church for a long time, and you've seen people who are in the bucket, and now they're scattered to the four winds. Remember, this happened to Jesus. In John chapter 2, a huge crowd followed him. He had turned water into wine at Cana. So now listen to the conversions in this. John 2:23 says many believed in his name observing the signs which he was doing. Now how did Jesus respond? He didn't post anything on Facebook. John 2:24 says but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man for he himself knew what was in man. Now, all this sounds really negative, but folks, there's a lot of good news here. Look at number four, a fruitful soil. Verse 23, and the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it and who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. This is a heart that wants to know Jesus. It clears the soil by repentance and it allows the seed to spread sink in and spring up to eternal life and the evidence is that it bears fruit so what is fruit well the bible says there's a fruit of repentance the bible says the tongue can bear good fruit paul says in galatians chapter 5 they're the fruits of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control righteousness is a picture of bearing fruit in psalm 1 there's faith hope and love service perseverance and obedience giving praying and witnessing keep sowing the seed it will bear fruit And again, this is encouragement for parents with lost children, people with a lost spouse, for all of us who know a lost person in rebellion or self-deception. And we praise God that by His grace, soil that is rocky, soil that is thorny, can suddenly become soil that is fallow and fertile and ready for God's Word. So look at the final thing. That's the exhortation from these parables. It's in verse 17. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Well, what did those disciples see? Well, they saw the lame healed, blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped, mute tongues loose. They'd seen Jesus Christ do miracle after miracle. But you've seen Jesus do miracles in your own life. Listen, if you're a Christian and you've been growing, think about where you were 10, 20, 30 years ago. Look around at the life of others who've been gloriously converted. You've seen what multiplied millions of others never saw. All those people and prophets in the Old Testament, they didn't see what we've seen. They have not, they never got a chance to hear what we've heard this morning. Some of these people in Old Testament days, can you imagine this? They desperately want to know what these, what these words in the Old Testament mean. And that Bible says that they searched intensely because they had a desire to know and obey God. And Peter says it re- was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you things in which angels long to look we have had a privilege we excuse me we have a privilege that billions of others never had the burning question to you and to me is what are you going to do with that privilege too much is given much is required so what areas of our life need to be made right with God To take this bible seriously to not let this culture just lean on us anymore to shed this culture and to take the privilege we've been given and maximize fruit for the kingdom some of you need to be baptized by immersion some of you need to be free from the shackles of a previous religious tradition and engage in believers baptism you can't play both sides of the fence and some of you here watching online also you need to be saved so do you know that you're lost do you have a desire to be saved are you willing to obey the lord jesus right now the best you know how hey this is not something to go home and think about if the spirit of god is convicting you then now is the time repentance is a desire to be rid of your sins and Then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, a prayer doesn't save you. But if you're sincere, ask Him to save you. Tell Him you're sorry for your sin and you know you can't get to heaven by good deeds, that you're not, you're a sinner, you're bound for hell but you believe that he died on the cross in your place, you believe that he was raised from the dead, you believe that he's revealed that to you this morning, and you want to confess openly that Jesus Christ is Lord, then cross that line this morning from unbelief to belief. Jesus will never turn away anyone who wants to be saved. Now, if you need to make that decision, then talk to Pastor Nathan, talk to myself or Pastor Kirk. Use that QR code, and we'll get back to you. We'd love to have that opportunity to have that discussion with you. Friend, it's the most important thing in all your life. Don't leave this place without knowing that you have your sins forgiven and you have eternal life. Let's pray.